myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello, and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week, my guest is relationship and ADHD life coach Shane Thrapp who is the CEO and head of Creating Order from Chaos Counseling, where he basically coaches people with ADHD through life and relationships. He is an ADHD sufferer himself, and so he has gone through life. He got diagnosed in his mid to late 30s for ADHD, and now he has turned that into a passion where he couldn't work in the office, and so he got a home-based job with counseling and has turned that into his his home-based business. Uh, in this episode, we talk about coaching ADHD growing up in the 80s, and then we get into his fear of mental deterioration like Alzheimer's or other kind of, you know, just losing lucidity on life. And it's a real power, really fun, powerful conversation. Let's go ahead and get an interview right now with Shane Thrapp. All right. My guest this week is coach Shane Thrapp. Shane is the CEO of, I guess, connecting through chaos. Is Am I getting Cre- that? Creating order from chaos. Yes. So, something I can't do. Creating order from chaos. <laughs> Which and I, I love your slogan. I loved your slogan. Is it's okay to live a life that other people don't understand? I feel like that is the best mission statement or message you could have as a coach to to inspire people. It's like it doesn't have to be A B C. You can be C A B or C B A or B A C. There is no right way to live life. Yeah, definitely it. You know, it's kind of been my philosophy since um, a few years ago, like because all of my life, man, I, I just, I, and I told my therapist this for years and years. Um, I said I just want to be normal, right? I just want to have a normal life, and like it was one of those things where she's always told me essentially the same thing over and over again. But finally, like one day, she like literally lost her shit, and she was like, "Look, Shane, I need you to get this through your head." There is no normal. Nobody is normal. Like everybody is different. Everybody has their struggles. Everybody has their like things that they go through. Nobody is normal. And I was and ever since then, like I've just kind of like been expanding on that and expanding on that and just like recognizing that normal is just a a social construct. It's mm-hmm. you know, and I just I now I take that to people and I just kind of walk them through it and kind of get them to understand that like they have to just accept who they are. And just like anybody with ADHD, it it takes someone losing their shit on you for it to stick. (laughs) Like I growing up with, I, I, what I, what I perceived was ADHD, which is probably somewhere on the spectrum because there were just so much more to it. Cause ADHD is one thing, but I would also have these anger episodes and, you know, I'd have the hyperactivity and the randomness of ADHD, but then I'd have laser focus on certain things. And then I would have no eye contact and I'd have things that would be like bipolar. And 
it just took somebody saying, hey, you're autistic, and me thinking, that's so rude. And it was <laughs> it was somebody it was somebody I, I I looked up to and wanted to you know talk to after a show as a comic that I work with, and I thought, well, he's just so rude. I never thought someone would be that hateful to me. And then I started looking up like on a whim. I just decided, you know what? Let's look up Aspergers, and lo and behold, like all these things, like all these little things, like click check. You're you're do it. You do you have the capacity to do well at things, but you n- seem to always fail in class. Like you always at your job, you seem to be one of the best workers, but you always had you always just and at there's five categories, four of them are A plus, and the others below an F. It's mm-hmm. it was just eye opening, and it was like you know I didn't realize that, and I kind of made inner peace with that rather than just kind of carrying it like my I guess my cross to bear you know wondering what it could be it was it was very refreshing to have I guess a diagnosis if you will yeah yeah I I definitely understand that that was kind of like um you know in my school um like I was amazing when it came to anything that had to do with reading right so uh English history the um, sciences, you know, so physics, biology, um, chemistry, anything where I could read the book, I was amazing at because I had uh, something similar to an eidetic memory. Uh, so I could just read all the books before uh, six weeks were up. I'd have every uh, class read and then I would just go to sleep. You know, yeah. I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to put any effort out. I could just, you know, read the books and then any test that they gave me, I would just, you know, smash it. You know, any book report that they gave me, I read Gone with the Wind in sixth grade in three days. Um, and my teacher didn't believe me. And we were doing a thing called like accelerated reading where you get points for books. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so she made me take the test and then she made me take the uh, alternative test and I aced it. And she was just like, okay, you couldn't have done that off the movie. And I'm like, I know I read the book. <laughs> Would you like me to like read some of the passages to, from memory? Cause I can do that. And uh, she was like, but all you do to, all, all day is just, sleep and i was like yeah i know <laughs> it's like it's, uh, you don't do anything else in your class other than what's in the book <laughs> so all i have to do is just read the book and i'm done you know sorry so. i'm done i'm sorry yeah. <laughs> give me a bigger book give me war and peace <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but it, you know it it you know, as much as I did really good on those, I did, I did really poorly in math, right? So anything, even like physics, which I loved, you know, the, when it came to the mathematics part of things, I was horrifying at. Mm-hmm. Like anything outside of like your basic maths up to like fractions and decimals and stuff like that, anything like algebra or geometry mm-hmm. or trigonometry or anything like that, I was horrible at. And my, it was like, for my parents, like they were super happy to see like a plus, a plus, a plus, a plus, and then D, mm-hmm. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and then like my science would suffer because we would have the uh, like in my physics class or chemistry class, we would have all of the like you know reports and research papers and all of that, and I would do A plus A plus A plus on those. But then when it came to doing the mathematics side of things, the equations, the um, the different type uh, types of breakdowns and of the theories and you know trying to i would i would just completely bomb those i couldn't there wasn't any way for me to process it right mm-hmm. like and even to this day i still i'm still pretty horrible at math excel does and google sheets does all my math for me mm-hmm. you know and so one of the things that i really had to learn was it didn't matter what i did i was still going to get people people were still going to treat me like shit about it. You know, it didn't matter how good I did with all this other stuff because it seemed like every bit of that was invalidated by just these, you know, one or two subjects that I was really bad at at any given time. And uh, my dad was pretty abusive and my mom was super religious, fundamentalist strict. And so they, I didn't have, <laughs> I didn't have a good environment, you know, to, to bring home yes. poor grades. And there so- obviously wasn't, Sounds super sympathetic and understanding. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I just, once I started really, and especially with my kids, once I started really understanding what ADHD was, because my son, my oldest son was diagnosed uh, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Once I started learning about that, I was just like, oh, okay. Well, this makes a little bit more sense now. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> well, and of course I'd met my wife at this point, uh, or eventually my wife and she's a special needs teacher. And she was like a few months into our relationship. She goes, Hey, I'm pretty sure you have ADHD. And, uh, <laughs> I blew her off at first, but then once I, you know, of course went down that rabbit hole and started really looking into it, I was just like, okay, yeah, I think she's right. Um, but it took me years to get diagnosed. I went through three different psychiatrists and all three of them told me, you know, adults can't have ADHD. It's a children's thing. Right. See, I've, I've just always balked at that. It's like, I don't, I just don't think you grow. It's not something you grow out of. I just think it's, you just, you find a way to cope and you quietly mm-hmm. cope is, is the, is what the, what it should be. You don't never, I'd never have grown out of it. And that's another thing too, that freaked me out with my, with my mental things as I wasn't growing out of the temper tantrums and stuff into my twenties and thirties. And that's for me to even think about a relationship was alarming. Cause it's like, I have no control over this and I don't want this to, to be a relationship. I don't want to have these childish outbursts for no reason, no real logical reason for them and not being able to explain them. That's, that's scary. Even though I'm not the strongest man in the world or anything, it's still scary to have just absolute, temper tantrums for you know absolutely throwing my hands up throwing things you know breaking breaking nintendo controllers i did it's not it's not a healthy it's not a healthy thing yeah i uh, i cannot tell you how many times dark souls has cost me a game controller um (laughs) um no, but I, I, you know, as I, you know, as I was learning about the um, ADHD, that was where I really started learning about where a lot of my anger issues came from because my earlier assumptions was that my anger came from my dad, 
right? Because he, again, he was alcoholic, abusive mm-hmm. asshole. Um, but again, when we think about ADHD and it being genetic, it is genetic. So I'm looking back at my dad going, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, and then I started learning about rejection sensitivity dysphoria. And it is, you know, is essentially these, these, it's part of your emotional uh, dysregulation that people with ADHD and uh, people on the autism spectrum have where, because we our prefrontal cortex isn't quite, isn't the same as other people's it's built differently. We're wired differently. You know, we're not broken or anything like that. We're not damaged. We, you know, we we're just rewired and, you know, so, cause we're different neurotypes, but anyways, because we have this, uh, this thing in our brain where, uh, anytime that we deal with like a rejection, even if it's like not really a rejection, but we perceive it as a rejection or if it's a failure that we know we would get rejected for, Mm -hmm. or if we have a history of that within our lives, because most of us do, um, you know, parents telling us that we're not good enough, parents telling us that we can't do a certain thing, even though it's our super passion, um, you know, peers making fun of us, not allowing us to have Mm -hmm. the fun that we want to have those, those, those denials pile up on us and as they pile up on us and we get older and older we we still have those outbursts because our emotions don't aren't like your neurotypical persons we feel things more like because our brain doesn't process information the same way as other people's does our brains immediately feel it and immediately it like sinks into us and we like and you know that's why grief is really shitty for us that's why anger is really easy for us it's why we get super enthusiastic and excited about a certain thing you know but anytime that there's a serious impediment to what we are trying to achieve we can lose our shit you know, and it's a lot of people are like, well, you know, why don't you grow out of that? Well, hey, look, motherfucker, my brain doesn't work that way. <laughs> my brain's not like, growing anymore. It's, I- <laughs> it's like, um, so I once I started learning about that, I it, it helped me change the conversation that conversations that I was having with my therapist and it helped me change the conversation I was having with my psychiatrist because now I had a really good understanding of why I had such a hard time when people would reject me. And I had a girlfriend of mine and this, and I say girlfriend, she was a friend who was a girl. Um, she, she came to me and she was like, Hey, I, I got to show you this text. And she shows me the text and everything. And it's, it is that classic meme that we see on, on Facebook and, and Twitter and Reddit all the time of, um, guy, uh, you know, proposes to girl on uh, okay, Cupid. Hey, how are you doing? And she blows him off. Right. Even if she's nice about it, she still blows him off. And then it's a, it's a litany of, you know, Oh, Hey, I'm a guy. I'm a great guy. You know, you just give me a chance. And then in, like, you know, she may respond or she doesn't respond at all. And then the, like the litany just starts getting worse and worse and worse. And by the time everything is said and done, it's like this psychotic mess of horrifyingly uh, bad yeah. things to say to people. And I, I looked at her and I said, so I want to talk to you about rejection sensitivity dysphoria. <laughs> And what that means for people, because this is a good example of what that kind of looks like with some people, is we, and I, I actually haven't done this before. Like a girl rejects me. I'm kind of like, eh, okay, cool. Next. And, you know, but, you know, some people don't, right? And especially people who are super lonely or uh, are socially awkward and they just don't have that social structure around themselves that they really want. 
and you know shaming them makes it even worse like and nobody should excuse that kind of behavior either and i'm not making excuses for it but i do want to explain it you know and so as i'm starting to learn about that again i'm able to go back to my therapist and i'm able to talk to her about it and as she's talking to me about it we started working on different coping mechanisms um self-affirmations really understanding what my strengths are what my limitations are understanding what is socially acceptable what is not socially acceptable and of course and then of course my wife is really good at this stuff there's a reason why she's my wife (laughs) and still and that's because she's always been honest with me she's always built this environment that i could trust and just be who i was she like really was one of the first women in my life who ever just allowed me to be who I was mm-hmm. and like loved me for it. Like digs like the way that I am. She like, she like actively encourages me. And because I have that environment, I'm able to deal with my anger a lot more. And yeah. so I'm able to break that generational curse that my dad was putting on me because of abuse. And then that always, you know, a lot of times that travels down to the next generation as we don't have a good, um, we don't have a good basis for how to treat our kids. Our yeah. <laughs> like yeah. our our first reaction is what we learned, right? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I was able to start really understanding like gentle parenting, how to understand boundaries, how to put boundaries on children, how to understand at what level they're able to understand what you're trying to tell them, what boundaries you're trying to put in place. Because at you know at you know one, two, three, they don't get that shit. Yeah. They're acting, they're, they're, they're communicating. Every behavior is a communication because they don't know any better. And so then at four and five, they start getting it. They start understanding it at age eight. They, they really start picking it up and they're starting to really be able to uh, do things more and more. And then, you know, so forth and so on. And so uh, as I'm learning all of this, though, I'm starting to see ways that I can help people. And so that kind of goes back to my coaching because I'm able to kind of help them build that environment around themselves Mm -hmm. so that they're able to tell the advocate uh, for themselves and tell people, this is what I deal with, with my ADHD. This is what it means for me. These are the different things that I go through. And here's the limitations that I have. If I have an outburst, right? If I have an, you know, if, if you do something and I blow up, it may not have anything to do with what you just did. Yeah. It may be a buildup of all the stress that I've been under over here. Mm-hmm. And you just happen to be the initial, the last trigger yeah. that hits me really hard. And my, my brain is just going to snap off and we need to work out what you can do and what you can't do. And then how we can come to get, come together later on and talk about what happened. Yeah. And so my wife has actually been able to give me that. Like she, she doesn't flip out when I lose my shit. Mm-hmm. She just kind of says, Hey, do you need to go for a walk or anything? Yeah. You know, do you need to, do you need your space? Do you, you know, are you stressed out about something? And so that helps me. And so I help people kind of get that same kind of environment yeah. around themselves, even if it's working with their friends working with a therapist, working with their, um, their, their spouses, like how to talk to their spouses. And we kind of touched on this before we got on thing. This is why I do relationships as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we need to understand as um, partners what our ADHD means. Mm-hmm. And if our partner doesn't have it, 
help them understand it. And if they do have it, where do y'all mesh really well? Mm-hmm. And where do y'all, where do y'all bump heads really hard? Yeah. And so, yeah, but, and, you know, I, sorry, I get really passionate about a, coaching stuff. It's, so, it's awesome. <laughs> like, I, but, I, but I'm pro, you know, you, it's amazing that you did the work to, again, to give your son who also has the same affliction, you know, ways to show, Hey, it doesn't mean that we have to be this way. You can, you're, you're almost like a role model for saying, Hey, I'm suffering from the same thing you are. This is how, this is what I've learned to kind of manage it and stuff like that. You're, you're developing that with him. That's, that's an amazing, I guess, but you know, that's a, a great bond to have, especially knowing that probably either your dad or your mother had it, but didn't do the research, didn't, you know, didn't feel, you know, and times were different and, you know, the results were always critiqued. Like when we were kids in the eighties and they, it was a, it was a cult thing or, you know, it wasn't a real thing. It was just a way to explain why they can be, they're just lazy. You know, we're just giving them a a pass to be lazy is Mm -hmm. one of the stigmas that I always tend to got is that you just, you just didn't try hard. Right. I got that one, uh, you know, and honestly, in some cases, because of, of like we were talking about earlier, like all of the effort that I did put into the things that I really enjoyed since it was invalidated by the failures that I had, you know, that taught me not to try really, you know? Yeah. Okay, cool. You're right. I am being lazy now because there's no point, right? There's, there's no point for me to do this because you're just going to be shit on me for the stuff that I did. Uh, I do wrong. And we were taught that failure is really bad and mistakes are horrifying and that you should feel ashamed for failing and you should feel ashamed for the mistakes that you uh, made. And then like, but then as we get older and older, like we don't, we don't learn the lessons, right? Yeah. We don't learn about that failure is how science moves forward. Technology moves forward because of all the failures that they make. That's how we learn. That's how we build success. Success is built on all the failures that we've made. And so we, I, I kind of have to redefine people's lives, mm-hmm. you know, to help them learn the, all the lessons that they should have learned as kids. We have to kind of start going through it. And I work with uh, clients who are 25 to 55. And, you know, once when we're, st- when we start going through it, you know, my, my methodology is pretty simple. Like I customize every plan for every uh, client I deal with because with ADHD and on this uh, autism spectrum, you, you can't cookie cutter shit. Right. Everybody has to have their own tool set that they can use to manage what mm-hmm. they do. Some people like to journal. Some people like to use Google Sheets. Some people like to use Google uh, or a Word document. Uh, some people like to use Evernote. You have to find the things that work for each individual. And so I don't sell a cookie cutter s- a solution. I sell a, a, um, a process of development, of discovery, of finding your purpose. And I think that's what's really been like my biggest help is by helping all of these other people and fulfilling my purpose in life. And that is to, to, to help people understand ADHD, to help people understand their relationships and how to communicate effectively and build an environment around themselves of trust and honesty. And I have to, I've had so much fun in the last couple of years doing this. I get to do it from home. I get to be with my two year old twins and watch them develop and learn and, I'm able to start at like now, you know, when they were born 
to build that environment around them. Like mm-hmm. I always help them explore and learn and love, even if they don't have ADHD, yeah. even if they, they don't, they don't have to deal with that. They will still have that environment and every kid is going to um, excel and thrive in that kind of environment. It's just, it's really necessary for people with ADHD or who are on the spectrum to have those boundaries, to have that stability, mm-hmm. to have that consistency, to have that honesty, that trust, you know, and without the pain and uh, spankings and yeah. um, the the negative feedback that they they really don't process to start with. Yeah, my girlfriend has ADHD too, and so it's one of those things where I've been. I feel like a lot of relationships in the in the past they've she's kind of taken it on the chin that it's her that's her she's the problem because she can't focus and she can't that they just they constantly just turn everything on her and make her feel like maybe she she gets to a point where she questions herself. And so I've literally, in my mind, just kind of been like, you know, just uh, everything's okay. You know, like I I don't stress. I don't get mad if she can't because she also is a mom, too. So she's also a parent. And I was like, you know, if you have to take a night to hang out with the kid, I'm not going to be angry at you for spending a night with the kid. I would rather you do that because as an only child, I was an only child like hers right now is that I would also I would love to spend time with my mom and stuff like that. And just just do little things because the most valuable resource you can give as a parent to your child is time in my mind right. is that you give them that time. It may And it may just be something sitting in your garage but it's something that they they carry with them you know those things like m- one of my favorite memories with me and my mom is that we would on Sundays watch TV and we would have sour, you know sour cream french onion dip ruffles and we would just watch TV together and it, i couldn't tell you what show was on but i could tell you that that was just something that i really loved to do and it would be something i would grab the dip out of the fridge she'd grab the ruffles you know we would just you know We'd have a little moment of just de-stress. Yeah. In my household, we, like, are big. Like, I I didn't have traditions growing up. Like, I had your Christmas and stuff like that, birthdays. But um, our big tradition is every Saturday we do French toast, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, the kids know when they get up on Saturday, oh, it's French toast day, yay, you know. Uh, like they know that when mommy is home on a Monday, that that's her sleep in late day. She gets to sleep in late. She gets kind of rest and relax. They, you know, they like they're two and a half and they like get that. And so they don't bother her on those days. All I have to say is, Hey, it's mommy's sleep in day. And they're like, okay. And they start kind of like tiptoeing through the house. So adorable. Um, yeah, it's super cute. And as like as quiet as they're trying to be, they're still two years old, so they're loud as shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's it's you know, being able to be a coach and being able to be a stay at home dad is um has allowed me to really work on a lot of the things that I I really messed up with my first two children with my ex-wife, mm-hmm. you know, because I was, I was working 80 to a hundred hours a week um, mm-hmm. when I was with her because she wanted to be a stay at home mom, but we lived in Maryland and the cost of living was astronomical. And I wasn't able to be that, that close to my kids when they were that age, I wasn't able to be really in their lives until they got a little bit older. 
and now they live in Texas now. So our conversations are just phone and messaging and, and, uh, you know, uh, Facebook, uh, video calls and things like that. But we, you know, it's not the same, you yeah. know what I mean? Like they know that I'm here. They know that they can always call me. They know that they can always text me. They know that mm-hmm. if they need a place to live, I'll buy the plane ticket and get them out uh, over yeah. here. Um, but they kind of, they have their own lives. They're both teenagers now. So they're kind of like doing their own things. My son is, uh, my oldest son is working. Um, my second daughter, she's, uh, she's in a lot of sports and things like that. So she's, you know, and it sucks, you know what I mean? But at the same time, you know, I'm doing my best to be there for them if they need me to. So, and that's all you can ask for. I mean, it's, it's not like you can, we can drop everything. Unfortunately, some, there are, there are things in life that, you know, we have to do and it's just, I always, I always feel like as long as you leave the door open, if they want to come through it, they, they know it's there. It's, yeah. it's, it's the true open door policy is like, I'm never going to turn you away, but just, you know, I, I definitely want to be, I, if you want more, I would love to give you more is and I don't have kids at all. My because again, because of my because of my mental status growing up in twenties and thirties, I was just terrified of that. I didn't want. To, I had an abusive stepfather, and I just I remember him just u- using fear as a disciplinary tool. Like that, I would I could literally like sh- like would shudder when he was in the house because he would just be so. You know, he would he could he would get me he would get me worked up, and then I would. I would say something wrong or if I got in trouble and he would discipline me, he would ask trick questions or whatever that in my panic state, I would just answer just to get an answer out and it would be the wrong answer. Like I just, I wouldn't understand. And I looking back on it now, I understand that he wishes that I was, I guess more of a male figure than I, than I was as a kid. Cause I was, I was just always small and meek. And so he was just trying to, I guess, instill character would be the word, but it's just not, it's, it's, it's not the best way to do it. Yeah. My dad was a lot like that. He, he would take me hunting. Like we, we, I grew up on a farm, like way out in the boondocks. We lived like, uh, 25 miles from the nearest town of like 2000 people. Um, our community was super small and, you know, so like I grew up, we went hunting all the time. That's we were we lived on a, a self-sustainable farm, and um, we had chickens and 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 pigs, and we hosted cows and horses on our land. And so my dad always did that thing. Like I I had to go, you know, I had to learn how to go hunting. I had to go learn how to work on cars, and I had to learn all these different things that you know he was like, I'm gonna make a man out of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, I just want to, I just want to sit over here and read this book, man. That's all I really want to do. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to play my video games. And then, of course, when I was 12, my mom got our first computer, and of, you know, that was it, right? Yeah. And <laughs> and uh, I discovered I discovered Merck. I don't know if you remember that. It's M I R C. It was a big chat pro- program at that at the time. AOL uh, came next, and then. You know, and like he hated that shit. He hated me always being on a computer. He he just like, and I couldn't. I wasn't ever able to explain it to him. You know what I mean? I, like this is I f- I'm able to. 
be, I'm able to talk to people. I'm able to have a social life, you know, and like these people don't judge me right off the bat because they, they don't get to see the social awkwardness. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm fucking Casanova when it comes to these fingers, damn it. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's amazing how, how calculated and choreographed you could be without the, without the, you know, just the self-consciousness of who you are or the appearance that you may bring or the inability to lock eyes when you can actually use the use the good parts of your ADHD versus all the mm-hmm. all the different ones, all the, you know, like, oh, like your recall. Like, I have really <laughs> great, I have the same thing with memory. Like, I can recall things about people like 20 years ago. I can recall conversations, which... When you're talking to a woman that you haven't seen in 20 years and she's kind of flirting with you, kind of kind of creep her out. You know, it's like, oh, I remember when we had this conversation and it's like, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> it's like you just overwhelm them with with information and it, it kind of comes off as, oh. yeah, that could have came off as a little like obsessive or like too much stalkerish maybe i don't know if stalker but just like why do you why do you still remember that like it's it's one of those things it's like maybe i should have just stopped it i knew you like this you know just kind of keep it to yourself that actually happened to me i was i was getting in um we got i got an invite to our 15 year um reunion and uh class reunion and i and one of the girls who you know messaged me, um, she she was just super nice and sweet and everything like that. And um, and all I could sit here and think about with her was like all of the times that she bullied me as a te- as a teenager, because I like I I had this massive crush on her, mm-hmm. and she found out about it, and she like ridiculed me in front of everybody, like the worst thing you could do with it yeah like 200 people and i hadn't really i hadn't done anything right i hadn't said anything overtly or anything like that uh what had happened was i had i i, I had written her a letter and you know because i was wondering uh, i was going to Ugh. nothing uh, worse than hard evidence but you get you get right. at least and, you get at least it could at least be he said see said if you had his verbal but right but it, it, you know it wasn't really <laughs> It wasn't really like super flirty or anything like mm-hmm. that. It was just like, hey, you know, if you ever want to go out sometime, let's go out. You know, I I thought it was super ben- uh, uh, banal. I was just being, you know, I this is what I uh, I wanted. But um, she like had the letter. She like she like confronts me in the the cafeteria, and she just like literally screams at me like, I I will never go out with somebody like you. And I said, okay, cool. And I, you know, and then from that point on, I just ignored her. I just like, yeah. okay, you know, move on. But, you know, as she's messaging me and she's talking to me, I, I, you know, I was like, hey, you remember that time you like really embarrassed me in the cafeteria? And she was just like, oh yeah, I remember that. I was like, yeah, that was really shitty. You know that? That sucked really bad. And she's like, Man, why are you even bothered by that any, anymore? And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, this conversation just went weird all of a sudden. So, needless to say, I didn't go to the reunion. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, 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 as again, dating someone and her daughters, I don't know. I haven't. I've only met her a few times because, again, I respect boundaries and stuff like that. I don't try. Right. To, I don't try to be like, let me, let me. We're now we're together. Let me go ahead and hang out with the kid. You know and you know, I don't want to be that stepdad-ish kind of guy. That's like, let me just let me let me try to try my hand at parenting. What, what I'm probably good at this, 
And so I just, I've always given her, I always give a space with that stuff. But I, she told me stories of being bullied and I'm like, she's probably got some sort of ADHD thing, you know, as well that she tries to be nice, but whatever she says, they just immediately are, you know, chomping at the bit to make fun of her either by appearance or, you know, cause she just, she likes to have short hair. And so they, you know, they, they ask her, you know, they bully her about that. They bully her about other things. And I was like, I just, the more I thought about it, I was like, I just wish they had some sort of psychology in, like, from fifth grade, like, just start introducing kids to psychology. Because you're teaching kids the most brutal way to climb a social ladder. If you actually let them learn, like, some of the consequences, like, from the book to show them kind of the consequence of their actions and also healthy ways to deal with it so they don't just sit at home you know, maybe you don't catch it as a parent because they just keep it and, you know, they go in the room, sit on the computer and, you know, they just, you know, that's their way of de-stressing. But at the same time, you don't, you know, you're not aware of what all is going on. You can only get secondhand information other other than just having a camera on her, them at all times, you know, it just, it just makes me wonder why, we, again, what have we used algebra for? Like, can we make algebra an elective and make like psychology? Because I will tell you this: when you talked about algebra, I was like, algebra is the worst because you can algebra makes you think you have the right answer, and then when you turn in the paper, <laughs> you'll get nine of them wrong, and it's like you do the formula as you think it is, and it gives you like a salt. Oh, that looks like it's a seven. You know, and and then they get it back, and it's two. And you're just like, how did they get? that out of that formula i did the formula right and then i solved for x x was seven no x is four how is it four you know they never went back and taught you where you went wrong you just like you just got the uh, when we were kids you just got you know you did it wrong so one of the things and and i I, I got to teach my oldest son this a little bit but i i learned about it too late to really be able to help him um, is uh, a term called masking. And I didn't realize I was doing it until much older. Um, again, I wasn't diagnosed until I was 34, but then I, I started learning about masking and masking is this tech, this coping mechanism where we, uh, we learn that we have to fit into some sort of normal, right? We have mm -hmm. to be some kind of normal so that people aren't like don't abuse us they don't uh they don't hurt us and so i had this mask that i would wear around my dad where i was super into working on cars i was super into hunting you know super into all this different these different things so that he wouldn't hurt me mm -hmm. and then i had to wear this other mask when i went to school because i wanted to fit in with people i wanted to be accepted by people yeah. And so that they wouldn't hurt me, they wouldn't bully me and things of that nature. And but the problem is, is we have we create this mask from all the different inputs that we have from the people around us, from the TV shows that we watch, um, from the books that we read. We, we read, we create these caricatures, these kind of Frankensteinian uh, amalgamations of what we think is a cool neutral persona mm -hmm. or a cool funny persona and the problem with that is because we don't understand social norms or don't get social norms like other people do 
it's not perfect. It's, it doesn't quite fit right. And I have a hypothesis about this. And I wish there was a way to, to like figure out if this is uh, uh, probable or not. But I'm going to pitch this uh, hypothesis at you. Okay. I think the reason that people see through those masks and feel that it's okay to bully us and still abuse us is the unca- uncanny valley because we have these masks that we wear it's it's not quite normal mm-hmm. and we make the people around us uncomfortable because we're not really being an, our authentic human self even if that mm-hmm. self is super socially awkward and things of that nature yeah. they can tell that we're being fake we're we're just not quite yeah it's normal a- or I call it suspension of disbelief. That's what I, right. that is, that's, it's, it's what, it's what the, your peers will let you get away with versus what you think you can say. And you, right. and you broach that with your, with your mask. And then it just all falls apart. Cause I start seeing like, no, that didn't happen. Right. And, and you're, you, you, since you put off this vibe of not being yourself, not being real, not being like authentically human, mm-hmm. Uh, it makes since it makes them uncomfortable, they lash out because you're different. Yeah. And since you're different, that's that means you're othered. That means you're okay. You're not within the tribe. Yeah. And so then that tribal uh, mentality kicks in. And once certain people within the tribe make the uh, delinea- delineation of where you fit in the social hierarchy, then it gives everybody else the ability there to take their insecurities out on you because if they don't, if they don't take it out on you, then they may be seen as um, other. Right. And so one of the things that I'm really hoping that I can give my kids, um, my youngest kids is that environment where trust and honesty and communication is wide open and, so that they don't have to wear a mask right here, at, at least at home. And then they can take the confidence that we give them here at home and just be who they are, because I'll never tell them not to be who they are. I'll never yeah. make them feel bad for who they are. And so if I can build the instill that confidence that they are accepted here, mm-hmm. then if people do mistreat or judge them out in the world, they'll be able to stand up for themselves, hopefully, yeah. you know, or at least know that they can come talk to me. And since I'm going to be massively involved in their schooling, I plan on being that parent. I plan on being the parent that my parents weren't yeah. and, and be involved in school and be on first name basis with the teachers and be in the, uh, the, the PTA and, uh, you know, uh, you know, be involved with coaching and stuff like that. And, you know, I want them to know that they can come back to me. I want to be that dad that they can bring their friends home, friends over. We make cookies and shit. I want to be that stereotypical stay at home, 1950s mom. Yeah. <laughs> That's my goal. Thank you. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, I, I told, I agree. The bullying comes as a, as a pack mentality that you are, you're it's, it's just like, it is kind of like you're seen as a leper. You're, you're seen as somebody that's because of your differences, you're seen as, like a leper and they don't and they just it, it's like you know they they talk about where if you're i forget the uh where's 300 uh, i want to say crete but i know it's not that but but they're you know their group of, if they had any kind of defects they would they only kept mm-hmm. pure 
And I was like, I, I was like, that's basically high school. Is that is all the pure people? You just get cast out if you're not if you don't have this pure, men, you know, this pure vibe that you put off. It's a lizard brain reaction to you that because they see that you are the weakest of the herd, that you're bringing the group down by being in it. They're going to cast you out of it. The Spartans. Yeah, the Spartans. That's what it is. It's a. It's but that's the mentality. And I just wish there was some rudimentary psychology that we could have in schools that said hey you might you might have these behaviors but it's not okay to do that there should be a a level of respect and i just feel that that you letting the, that go all the way up to college it's like you've you've let the damage be done you've let you've let them grow up in this this little because there were when we're adults our world is not 300 pe- 300 kids in a building it's millions of people, you know, in whatever city or town you grow up in. It's, it's thousands. But for the most formative years of our societal life, it's a it's a building of 300 people that are world. And they are the, they're the ones that kind of, you know, make the, you know, kind of develop how we become and how we feel. And I just feel somehow if there's somehow some way to say, hey. You're, yes, we're all learning, but we need to we need to do better. You can't just run roughshod over people and then you know expect them to not have consequences. You're 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 hurting yourself too by not doing by just allowing yourself to act like this because then you become you have this entitlement and then you get to high school or college and then you run into somebody that's that's not going to bow to your you know the to your your high school superiority. Yeah. Um, I, you know, that I wish our schools would do that too. I wish our schools would do a lot of things. One of my, mm-hmm. one of, one of my biggest uh, passions is education reform. And one of the things that, you know, I have vowed to do as a parent is since I'm going to be so involved is provide that at least for my kids at home but i also want to provide that for the kids that they bring you mm-hmm. know like the friends that come over i want to i want this my house to be a safe place for kids to come and and know that they'll be heard they'll be respected that they'll you know they'll be able to do the things that they enjoy doing without any pressure from from me or my wife to to behave a certain way mm-hmm. as long as they're not breaking shit and being disrespectful i legitimately don't give a fuck what they do you know and you know within age appropriateness yeah. as well um but like if they want to jam out with music as loud as they fucking want to i'm gonna okay cool i got headphones yeah. you know <laughs> like and i don't live close enough to neighbors that you know it's gonna be a big deal if my son wants to you know you know form a band i've got a basement for that shit yeah. let's do it you know yeah. uh, i just i want to give my kids that environment yeah. my my in-laws and my mom and da- uh, stepdad uh they're 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 like you know my kids birthday is in june and they're like well what do you want to get us to get the kids i said musical instruments let's yeah. do this shit let's you know because my son sets up like he's got an old snare drum, he's got a, a xylophone and a, you know um, tambourines and stuff like that, and he sets them up in this like semicircle, and he just starts going, and my brain, of course, my brain, my ADHD and spectrum shit starts losing its mind because there's too many weird sounds happening yeah. there. Um, 
But again, I want them to have that safety. So yeah, there we go. Headphones on. Let's yeah. let's do this. You know, I yeah. let call me. You know, when you got something else, and I'll come listen. And then for now, I'm just gonna bow out for a little bit and take. But I just, I I just feel like so much like the rudimentary like that we're all good at something, and just because mm-hmm. they're not good at the same things you are, doesn't mean that you you're entitled to mentally or physically bullying them that that to me that if you could just understand and respect their gifts and maybe they're not the same as yours but you don't have to to shame them for them you can just understand like hey that guy's good at painting and instead of calling him you know homosexual or whatever you know whatever insults or breaking his paintings just because you see how happy he is with them and you're not that happy with who you are that you just you take it out on hit on him being able to find his his passion and to enjoy his passion where you're you know basically either one trying to mask your cookie cutter or just not you know or worse your parents don't have any you know just you're you're at home by yourself with your thoughts and you have no engagement and so you're trying you you want them to pay attention some some bullies just want their parents to to talk to them and the only way they can get them to talk is to is to you know get in trouble so that you know and it's such a weird you know dynamic i had a bully like that in the fifth grade that would just he would just destroy me every single day and it turned out that he just was his mom had like left and it was just him and his dad and his dad was just so busy that he just never the only time that he could spend with his dad is when his dad had to be called out of work to come get him for acting out yeah that, i've actually had a few clients of mine who they they were really concerned with their kids because they were showing some fairly aggressive behaviors and um, my wife and i uh, we work together sometimes when there's um when there's kids involved because again she's a special needs teacher and i'm an adult uh, i deal with mo- uh, mainly adult parents and stuff like that but one of the things that I've learned working with her is that um, all all behaviors are attempts at communication, mm-hmm. right? It's it's some form of trying to get your attention, to get you to pay attention to them. And if you only give them attention attention when they do negative habits, and they will continue to do the negative habits, and they will get worse and worse and worse. So part of my um, work with parents is not just teaching them to communicate with their kids to to how to get their points across, Mm -hmm. but also learn how the children are trying to communicate with them, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes that's not verbal, especially if they have somebody, a a child on the spectrum or uh, even ADHD kids, you know. Sometimes it's not verbal. Sometimes they're trying to get this point across, but they don't have the they don't have the verbal language mm-hmm. to get it out. They don't have the you know maybe their brain is going too fast mm-hmm. and they know they want something, but they're not able to get yeah you know to process it. So you have to kind of learn how they're trying to communicate with you and give them that tool the tools that they need to effectively communicate back to you so that you're able to understand each other yeah and so that's where tools such as like the speaking tablets where they can they can type out on the tablet and they can say something Mm -hmm. because when we are able to type things 
this goes back to what we talked about earlier. Uh, you know, when we're chatting on on you know online and stuff yeah. like that, our brains are able to slow down and type things out in a much more coherent manner. Yeah. When we write things out, our brains are able to slow down, and and even if the handwriting is messy, we're able to process that uh, more effectively. And so sometimes it's making sure that those kids have that ability to do so, and that that allows them to feel heard mm -hmm. and that cuts out a lot of those negative behaviors yeah. and they you know since they know that they're being heard they're getting the attention the positive reinforcement and tension that they need there's no need for them to act out that frustration doesn't build up and build up and build up and they know that they can get um, the help that they need if they're if they're not able to communicate something effectively they're able to they know that they can go um, they can come to you and say I need help with this but I don't know how to say it yeah you know and that's 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 one of the things that I've really enjoyed was kind of building those relationships with with parents between mm -hmm. their the parents and their kids so how did you come into coaching like how did how did that I guess come to you as a as a career? Um, I've actually, so for a very long time, again, I, I wasn't diagnosed until I was 34. So I was, I was, you know, for a long time when I was really from 20, from 18 to 24, I was just bouncing from job to job to job to job. Right. And then I fell into this job as a, um, warehouse manager at 24. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the fuck that happened. I was like running a 300,000 square foot furniture warehouse and I, I, I was doing really good. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I had all the computer smarts and things like that they were looking for. I, I was really good with Excel and um, I could learn different logistics systems really easily. I could, I could pick that stuff up super easily. And so I was able to do the administrative work very quickly and so then I'm like, I'm 24 years old and I'm working with these dudes who are like 35 and older. And, you know, one of the guys was like 78 and, you know, they kind of looked at, you know, looked down at me, but at the same time, because I did all that work so well, I said, okay, well, I'm going to learn what this means to be a leader. Right. Yeah. And so I started reading, I started hyper-focusing on what it meant to be a leader. And I learned about servant-based leadership and, what that is is essentially giving your people the tools that they need to do their job excellently and giving them the environment that they need, the safety that they need, the, you know, everything that they need so that they can do their job more effectively and accountability to say, this is the expectations. This is what you're doing. Great job. Or, Hey, these are the expectations. This is kind of where we're having some issues what can we do to kind of get you to where you're able to excel without having that judgmental, you know, not without having that um, antagonism towards failures or mistakes and things like that. And as I was doing that, these like older men like were starting to look at me and they were starting to show me a lot of respect. And then I started feeling validation for what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so at that point I was like, I love doing this i love managing people and working you know as a leader and so from that point on when i started looking for a job i started finding myself into those positions mm -hmm. and i started discovering that i enjoyed working at places where 
you know, like as a contractor or as a freelancer, mm -hmm. because I could go into a role and I could work there for six months and then I would, the project would be done. I'd get that happy, you know, dopamine fix because I did a thing mm -hmm. and then I would move on to the next thing. And so I, I started learning about project management. I started learning how to um, develop my strengths and what those were. I started understanding what my limitations were and, and how to put people around myself who could, who could um, fill those spaces, those gaps that I had. And, that started my career of just kind of being a contract, uh, you know, um, um, project manager, project manager, project coordinator, business manager. That's kind of like these roles that I started filling. And so I started working three to six months at a time, 10 months out of the year. And then I'd have two months off so I could just fuck off and do whatever the hell I wanted. And I was making really good money. Um, but in 2018, um, well, 2016, I had this breakdown. Um, my son, had, my oldest son, had come out to his mother as bisexual. She had kicked him out, and I wasn't. In, I wasn't in a place where I could help him at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I had this breakdown, a complete mental breakdown. I was really, I was really fucked up. Mm -hmm. And then once I got better from that, I I went back into work, and I I was working really hard. I was doing a lot of really complicated high pressure project manager jobs I was, and eventually i started working at cisco and we were um creating the um we were taking all the intellectual capital that they had all the stuff that they had created and developing an ai and it was super high intensity pressure and my body started shutting down on me and they were super cool about it. My boss understood that I had ADHD. Um, he was super okay with it. He helped me out. They gave me accommodations. And as I started getting sicker and sicker, they started letting me work from home. But, you know, in October 2018, my body just completely quit. And they didn't, they didn't continue my contract after that. And then in 2009, you know, uh, December of 2018, in January of 2019, we found out we were going to have twins. And once we found that out, my wife was like, cool, this is perfect. You get to be a stay at home dad. I said, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, um, talk me into it. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, oh, twist my arm, twist my arm. Um, but like six months into that, once the babies were born, um, late and they were born in June of 2019, um, I started kind of going, okay, when they get into uh, pre K, I've got to have a job. You know, I need to, I need to have something where I'm bringing money in because there's going to be shit that they need. You know, there's going to be, you know, and my wife and I, we lived well within our means. She's a special needs teacher. So she makes okay money and we're smart with money. I don't have money. She has all the money because impulse, um, uh, I get a set amount every now and then. Um, but you know, I started looking around for trying to find something that I wanted to do. And so I started working with the ADHD life coach. And as she and I were working together, she was like, what are you really passionate about? And at this point, I'd really been researching ADHD a lot. I'd mm -hmm. also been researching relationships a lot um, because I wanted to make sure that I understood this for my kids. And I wanted to make sure I understood relationships for me and my wife. And I, I told her, I was like, I kind of listed out all the things that I, I was really good at. And she's like, hey, I just want to let you know, those are all things that like an ADHD coach does. Those are all things that a life coach does have you thought about that? And I'm like, fuck no. 
a project manager, you know? And uh, she's like, well, look into it. And, and so I, I started looking into it and I got certified. I went through a certification course with a really good company, uh, life coaching Institute. They, um, their, their program is really in depth. And as I, we, as I was going through it, I was like, okay, this, yeah, right. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I want to do. And then, of course, I found my niche was in ADHD and relationships, and I started taking in clients. And I was kind of doing it as a side gig because my kids really didn't give me a lot of time to do mm -hmm. uh, like a full time thing. But you know, as my kids have gotten older, I've kind of started. You know, uh, December of um, last year, I said, okay, like I'm going to actually form my business, and so I created Creating Order from Chaos, and so I created a um, an umbrella company essentially that lets me do all of the things that I want to do. Right. Yeah. So not only do I have ADHD life coaching, I also have relationship coaching and I teach people about ethical non-monogamy and I teach people about uh, leadership and I ha I'm going to have group uh, classes where I do ADHD uh, courses. I'm actually already doing that. I'm a moderator for the largest men's ADHD support group on Facebook. And we have biweekly support groups where we talk about certain, uh, like a specific subject uh, that we go through with ADHD. And as I'm doing that, I'm also able to lean back into what I used to do as a project coordinator, project manager. Um, but I'm also able to now give them leadership training and team building. And so I'm able to contract with other companies. And so that's my next goal uh, in 2023 is to form out that business where, or that side of my business where I'm doing business to business work, um, doing leadership training and public speaking and things like that. So that's my long path to getting to yeah, life coaching. But that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's really cool that you you do it with your your kids in mind, not just your young ones, but your oldest and stuff to maybe help people, you know, like your son that maybe, you know, are having questions about their, you know, sexuality and everything else and all that stuff to be able to address those things as well as a life coach and, you know, and to be there to be there in, you know, retrospect and stuff to, you know, to really, you know, help is is super awesome because so many we have so many set parameters on relationships that relationships should be this only this this is the only acceptable and then yeah and relationships isn't just about like your your partner you're with it's also your kids it's also your family members your it's your friends how do you how do you build a social circle right mm -hmm. when you're this socially awkward you know, just finding yourself at 40 kind of person, you know, how do you, how do you advocate for yourself at work? Yeah. You know, cause ADHD is a protected disability under Americans disability act, but so many people don't hit that check mark whenever they do the application. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people don't hit that check mark for depression because they're afraid that uh, that job isn't going to hire them. Mm -hmm. But what I teach people is, do you want to work for a company that won't hire you because you have ADHD? Yeah. You know, because are they, you know, when you come and talk to them later about your ADHD and you need something like your body is finally telling you, hey, you've got to shut down or, hey, you know, your brain just isn't doing the things right. And you talk to them about your ADHD, then they can sit here and just say, that's not our problem. You yeah. didn't mark off that you had ADHD. So we don't have to do shit for you and you can't do anything about it. Yeah. But if you mark that uh, thing off, 
and he says, I, I told you all from the get go, I have ADHD and these are the accommodations that I need now. And they can't at that point say, we can't help you because now you have a paper trail and you can take that and get a wrongful termination suit yeah. uh, put in place. And people don't know that. And so that's how, that's another thing I teach is advocating for yourself and understanding your disability and things of that nature. Yeah. That's in that. I lo- again, I love the relationship aspect because when you think about ADA, ADD and stuff, all you think about is school. Like you, it's basically, it's a like do well at school, do well at work. But there's, there's a 65% element you spend away from that. You know, you're only spending eight to 10 hours a day with that. And so you're only treating eight to 10 hours of a 24 hour day of ADHD and so much of it interpersonal things because again like you said there's so much with how much you i would say i guess they i when they're bipolar have a what's that uh disorder the borderline personality disorder where they mm-hmm. split they call it splitting or whatever it just they just they just think the child the most childish basic issues like they hate me no one loves me you know you just go through these super negative things and it's it can be so isolating because you just don't know you don't you don't get like just like you said with the mask your mask doesn't fit perfectly so when you're out on a date and your your the stakes are never higher than than relationship you know your your personal emotional stakes are just you're putting all your chips in the table and they're just nobody wants to take the bet and they just you, you're just left there wondering why I was talking to a friend of mine and she was a client um, and she was like, I don't know why I keep getting these guys who are just complete assholes. And I said, how accurate is your profile? You know, cause she's, she has ADHD and she's bipolar mm-hmm. and she's like, and she was like, well, and she showed me her, her OKCupid profile and I went through it and I'm like, Oh, you're wearing that mask. And she goes like, what? I said, yeah, you're wearing a mask. This isn't you. This isn't anything like you. Where did you steal this from? And she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, no, like there's no, you do not do art. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's like, and, I, and you know, I wasn't being mean about it. It was just kind of uh, fun picking with friends and stuff like that. And I was like, you, look, if you want to get the people that you want around you, then you have to be who you are. And that's, and that starts with a, and if you're looking at dating and stuff like that, that starts with your profile. And like, you know, when I was dating and stuff like that, and I'd learned I had ADHD, like that was part of my thing. I have ADHD. You have to deal with that. This is what that means for me. And this yeah. comes, this goes back to advocating for yourself because the only way people are going to be comfortable around you is if you are authentically who you are mm-hmm. And the people who stay stay around you, who accept who you are for who you are, that's your people. Yeah. And if people can't accept who you are for who you are, those aren't your people. Yeah. And you don't need to waste your time with them because you're just going to get shitty with them and they're going to get shitty with you. Yeah. And they're going to do something that pisses you off. And this this goes to any relationship you're, you're in. And so if you if you really want the people who you can be who you are around, then you have to be who you are and, and, and do your best and advocate for yourself and let them understand, Hey, sometimes my outburst may seem really, really, you know, really, really extreme. And I'm going to apologize to you in advance. 
it's probably because I'm dealing with a lot of frustration and you just happen to set it off. Like, just give me some space and we'll, and I'll, and I'll come back and, and, and just understand that my apology will be heartfelt, but I don't have any control over it. Sometimes I don't yeah. have the same kind of, and so talking about it and being upfront and honest about it really helps you deal with all the social anxiety and fear because these people who stick around you and deal with this stuff with you, the, the, they show you that they're trustworthy. They show you that you can be honest with them and that they're being honest with you. And that's, that's how you build that environment of social acceptance is by, by bringing the people who will accept you for who you are into, into your world. And that's how you kind of build this environment of love and honesty and an acceptance around yourself is just by just being yourself. Yeah. Even if that's socially awkward, even if that's really weird. Yeah. Like, cause like there's people who believe in flat earth on, uh, on YouTube and, and Google and Facebook and shit. Okay. If they can have a fucking community, your socially awkward ass can also have a community. You just yeah. have to find those people. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it, it's, it's a, it, and that's what I try to explain to people as I've gotten older and you know learned that in my forties is that do you want to do you want to have a million fans that do, that don't care about you or would you rather have two thousand fans that'll come to every show that mm-hmm. or every show they can and pack out a two hundred seat theater you know two hundred seat comedy club because you only need you only need you know six hundred of those at a time. If you have 2000 fans that are, you know, everywhere you go, you don't need the millions. Like you, if you had a million people, if a million people cared about you, that's great. But if they don't, then what's, what do you need them for? It's like the law of exponential growth. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's like, you're the, you're the top of the, the, uh, pyramid scheme. Right. Yeah. So you're, su- you're super authentically yourself. Right. And people, the people who dig you come to your shows and they really enjoy you. And so then they sit here and they, they talk to their friends who really enjoy and love being around them. The ones that are really authentic with themselves and they super, like they're super excited about you and they're super happy about you. And this, and of course that friend goes, okay, man, I'm gonna go check this guy out. You know, you know, Bob here thinks he's the fucking, you know, shiz nizzle for some reason. And then they they go to it and they're like, oh, hey, this dude's funny as shit. And then uh, as more and more people enjoy you being your authentic self, you gain more and more of an audience. You gain more of a more more of a social circle and you 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 you're able to thrive. And, you know, that's that's just that's the best way to do life. Right. Yeah. That's the best way to be in life is just no matter what as long as you're not being an asshole right mm-hmm. that, that's the caveat if you're not naturally an asshole and uh abusive towards people or and things of that nature as long as you're being authentically who you are yeah. and doing the best you can and being the best good that you can doing the most good at the most times as as often as you can you know you'll you'll get those people around you who deserve to be around you and that you deserve to be around yeah and that's what I, and again, that's what I've learned. It took a long time. It's one of those things where I guess your fear as we get older is where your fear comes in, which is a, it's a real, it's a real interesting one, but it's one that I have too, because you're like me, you have memory and that's one of your biggest assets. And so tell, tell listeners what you're afraid of. 
so my biggest fear is is losing my mental faculties so alzheimer's <laughs> dementia um any kind of mental impairment like that like i already am physically i've already got issues i've got a bad back i've got mm -hmm. you know um, fibromyalgia due to the stress so uh, my body is you know i'm overweight so you know like if i lose my brain i lose everything right yeah and so like for a very long and i i've got a living will like i like you know i have plans if if i start to go downhill and there's no there's no treatment options and stuff like that you know it's i'm done you know what i mean mm -hmm. i don't know how i'll do it they don't have they don't have that legalized yet but i mean i don't i, I won't live through that right yeah and but knowing that you have adhd like and there's some studies out there. I think there was one that was just done in Sweden. Uh, it was released re recently where um, families of people who have ADHD have a higher likelihood for for Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, now it's it's not a it's not a causation uh, study. It's a it's a self reported study. There it's literally it's just a study that says, hey, we should study this further and see if there really is anything to this. Um, but, you know, my dad, and this is where the fear comes from. Um, my dad, like my mom left my dad when, when, when he was, when I was 16 mm -hmm. and essentially it took my dad 11 years to die, you know, like he, he died at that point, but then he just kind of kept going for 11 years and because he was even as abusive as he was because he was so codependent on my mom and because he was so wrapped up in her and because like she was his rock um when she left him and she left him for good you know it broke him yeah right and i watched my dad's mental decline um from being this what i had thought at the time like this like huge superhuman person into just this depressed like he forgot things all the time he couldn't remember where, where certain things were at he didn't mm -hmm. realize that i had moved out like i came back and he was like oh it's good that you came back by uh, you know uh room you know your room is cleaned up and you're ready to go and it was like it'd been two days but it'd been two years right and you know i like watching that was really it really fucked me up and i'm mm -hmm. like and I, I just said, I was like, I, I won't, I can't survive that. Yeah. I can't, I won't survive that because, you know, the thing is, is sometimes you, you realize it, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you realize that you, that something's wrong. Like you, like you're lucid for a, a short amount of time and to just kind of lose periods of my life between the lucidity it would just be torture for me yeah i just okay oh, jesus yeah. christ well it, it's just yeah and it's it's it, it's one thing it's one of those things like you can't you can't see it coming it's not something that you can you it's you know it's just something that just slowly happens that you just and you just it's your your, your new normal yeah and like like you don't know like a crazy person doesn't know how crazy they are, you know, just like a stupid person doesn't realize how stupid they are. Um, you know, it, it just, it's, 
you know, I just can't, I, I just can't imagine. And it's not just, it's, it's not just, you know, me dealing with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, cause then your, your family also has to deal with that. And like, my wife is the kind of person who would, who would, who would stick with me through it. Right. Mm-hmm. She would, she, she would be there for me. And I like the idea of my wife having to, you know, go through that. And the, the idea of my kids having to see me go through that. I just, you know, it's just, that's, that's why it's a fear, right? That's why it's yeah. a phobia. Like it, it's, just, it's irrational. Like, right. I should, I should feel, um, you know, loved and cherished by the fact that I know my wife would stick with me through it. But at the same time, it's just, I remember what my dad went through and I remember me having to be there for him and be there around him when he was reliving periods where my mom was still there. Like, like points where he thought my mom was going to come home from work Mm -hmm. and points where he thought, you know, um, she was just outside like that she had just walked outside and he went and looked for her. And then like, he'd come back frantic cause he couldn't fr- find her and he thought she had wandered off in the woods or something. And, um, he'd want to drive somewhere and I, I couldn't let him drive anywhere. Cause you know, he's <laughs> like, yeah. not only was he hammered, he was also, you know, in this, in this state where he couldn't remember that my mom wasn't there yeah. anymore. And it just, that was a really, 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 really rough time. Yeah. And I'm sorry you had to go through that. That's, that's, that's just tough beyond words of just having, you know, having to be a, a bystander almost for that. Cause there's no, what do you, what do you, you, there's no real way to correct it because like I, there was a uh, podcast, uh, this American life where they were talking about like, his wife's it was a couple and the wife's mother has alzheimer's and what they would do is since they did improv comedy they did improv they ran improv with her instead of like no mom that's not what happened you know they just they would just yes and whatever she they said so it's like look i see a squirrel oh you see the squirrel is is the one sitting on the tree you know they would just you would just kind of almost like kid, almost kid it, you know, where you, you're playing make-believe with your kid, you know, when you're having a tea party or whatever, you would just, you would just foster that versus the correcting it and then make them having them kind of have that, that sad moment where they're like, I'm, I don't remember, you know, but you know, then they feel, they still feel the, the sting of being corrected, you know, like, no, that's not, no, that's cor- incorrect. And then they feel, you know, there's a burden that comes with that of just feeling like, I'm sorry that I don't remember this. And that, you know, that makes them feel like a burden to you. Like if they're constantly, ha- you know, your only words to them are like, no, that's not what happened. No, they're not here. It, you know, they, in, in you know, and for, you, know, you could be, a you know, they just don't understand. And it's, it's hard to. I don't know. I I just I I worry about that myself with like my parents and, and things like that. Like if their memory goes or, you know, how do you how how would I approach it? You know, how would I have those conversations? Like, do I, you know, do I just sit there and say, you know, do I let them just 
be and just let them, you know, remember it the way they remember it and just leave it at that. And then, you know, just go cry in my car (laughs) and, and, but yeah, it's, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a hard thing to navigate and it's, you know, how do you, how do you even, you know, know, you know, how do you ask that of your kids? Like, Hey, am I, am I off? Like, do you, you know, do you ask your, your spouse at that point? Like if you're starting to forget things like, Hey, are you noticing things with me about forgetting or, you know, just long-term mental, you know, like, do you, do you have that kind of, I guess, those checks and balances in place? I do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think, I think what, I think the reason why it's sunk in so hardcore for me is because when my, when my dad would have those episodes where he didn't remember that mom had left him, like I would have to tell him. And then every single time that grief would hit him, the same grief, like same level of grief. And like, like he really, he relived that over and over and over again for 11 years before he finally passed away. And, you know, I don't know what he went through when I wasn't there with him. Right. You know, I don't, I don't know what he went through. I don't know how he coped or dealt with it. I only know the times that I was there with them and, you know, the times I'd came back after, you know, needing a place to live and stuff like that. Um, like he didn't have a whole lot of friends. And so all I can, all I can ever think about is like, you know, him going through that and then not having anybody tell him where mom was. And yeah, that's, you know, you know, our, our nation is really, you know, people go through a lot of stuff and they, they talk about, you know, um, suicide and they talk about um how horrible that is and i understand that i get it suicide is horrible and for people who are dealing with it and who are have suicidal ideations and and are 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 dealing with depression like that and stuff like that you know i they they need all the help they they can get but you know what about the people who are legitimately done right yeah and they they don't you know they're they're perfectly cognizant they're they they understand they they have you know made the acceptance that you know they they don't need to go on they've lived the life that they have lived they're happy with it you know and if we look back at like uh, dr kevorkian and uh, a few of the other doctors who have performed assisted suicides and things like that and i'm like you know if you're doing it of your own free will and you're you've you've made that acceptance and you're you know it's your life right and like everybody talks about the family and stuff like that that's cool you know are you so you know if your family wants you to live are they giving you the things that you need to live for yeah and that's are they you know yeah and and i but you're i feel like you're also because you're breaking that generational curse that you you're not i feel like 
the house your dad had wasn't because he was so i guess tough and and you know not sharing or anything that it just nobody nobody really he never no one really knew what he was suffering from they just knew you know he just kept it all in and when you do that it pu- it pushes everybody else away yeah and that's that's why that's why my wife and I have had like these very brutally honest uh, conversations. And again, it's one of the reasons why I love her is because she's never made me feel bad mm-hmm. about, you know, she's never judged me for my fear. Like she understands that she totally gets it. You know, uh, she, you know, her grandmother had Alzheimer's or she was kind of going through dementia there at the end. And you know, and she's very practical. And so you know, she understands the fear. She understands, and she she also understands that I will have the environment that I need to 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 feel happy and and loved and and trusted and safe and things like that. So that helps me a lot. That helps me kind of deal with it. I still don't want to go through it. I still yeah. don't want to put her through yeah. it. But I I know that. I know that she will go through it and still give me the ability to make the decisions that she thinks and she and I thinks are best for me. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I think that's part of what helps me face it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's got, it's definitely got to be a comfort to know that you have somebody there that, that is, is there with you, you know, for it, through it and with it, you know, not just, mm-hmm. you know, not just when it, that she's there for the, you know, I understand that this is going to get hard, but I'm willing to take that on because I would rather be with you than to, 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 to like let the, I'd rather just be with you. And that's, that's an amazing feeling. You know, it's nice to, it's, it's nice to have that kind of connection with somebody and, you know, you know, some people find it early. A lot of people find it later on. Some people, sadly, you know, search, you know, maybe search their whole lives or worse, had it, but make, you know, make choices and stuff. Like my uncle, I'm sure he's on the spectrum somewhere as well, but he got, he had the love of his life and he scared her by getting drunk and violent and like broke down her door. And then, you know, just, she, she just never wanted to be with him again. And he had to live with that for he's had to live with that for the rest of his life that he just that the woman that I guess the love of his life just wouldn't just, you know, she's she's gone and you you had that and you you threw it away, you know, just on one one angry outburst. And I don't know. I don't, I was, I was really young when it happened, but it was just one of those things of, you know, one, one bad night took everything away. Yeah. And so I, I just, I always, you know, I always try to worry, you know, I try to live in a life of now that I kind of know what's wrong with me. It's like, okay, let me just pay it forward. I know what's wrong with me. So I'm not this, I don't feel like I'm this monster or misunderstood person. And that's, it's not what's wrong with you. It's yeah. just how you're different. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, but it, but when you're you're like you say, you go through the rejections and the and the, the bullying and everything else, and 
I say, and I still struggle with it. There's, there's a level of authenticity I've gotten to with my stand-up and stuff where I'm, I'm really, I'm really hitting my stride and I feel really relatable. I feel like the person on stage is as close as he could be to the person that's off that I don't, yeah. I, do, I don't have this mat, like you said, the mask, if you will, of being one person on stage and being another off. And it just, it's one of those things where it's like, man, if you know, I get now why people say, if I knew th- now what I knew then, and I just really just didn't know anything. Yeah, I I see those posts. Um, you know, if you could go back and tell uh, time and tell your sixteen year old self four words, what would it be? And of course, my my legitimately my first answer is buy all Amazon stock. Mm-hmm. You know, because <laughs> you know I was sixteen whenever uh, whenever he started really uh, launching that, and I'm like, man, if I'd had a thousand dollars then. Um, <laughs> but no. Uh, you know, if I could go back in time and tell myself anything, it'd just, just be who you are, you know, just be authentically who you are. And I think that would have cost me a lot of pain. I mean, it would, it would have caused me a lot of pain. I understand that now I still would have dealt with a, you know, a lot of pain, but I think I would have dealt with less pain than I have had to deal with. And you know, maybe I wouldn't have turned out as good of a person as I am either, because, you know, when you go through all the trauma and all that pain and the, the different things that the pressures that life put on you, that's kind of where that's how you become the person you are, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and maybe I would have been this billionaire, you know, person who is completely cold hearted and callous and things like that. So, kind of have to take what you've got and live with it yeah and just be as happy as you can be with yourself shane i enjoyed this conversation it's been a great time where can people find you on social media or they wanted to create order from chaos um they can find me at um www.creatingorderfromchaos.com um they can find me on facebook uh, creating order from chaos coaching um and you know i I'm on a bunch of podcasts, so if you Google Shane Thrap, I pop up now. It's <laughs> awesome. It's awesome that you're getting the message out and that you're you're following your passions and that you're 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 getting to live the life that you want to and and you're happy doing it and you're stay at home dad and life is just is kicking off for you, you know, maybe a little later than you thought, but it's better late than never. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a little, I'm 40 now, so it's, it's a little late, but you know what? I, you know, you don't really grow into who you are until you're 30, 35. So I'm not that far behind. I, I'm, I'm a happy person and you know, I get, I have a happy life and my kids are amazing. And my wife is amazing. So that's all I can really hope for. Thanks again, Shane. Thank you. You have a great day, Ryan. So that was Shane. That was a real fun conversation. You can really tell coaching and ADHD are passions of his, how much study and how much, I guess, information that he was just able to provide in just that little episode. And what a, you know, a terrifying fear that, you know, just something you can't plan for. 
And so I, I appreciate him get being candid with that. And also, you know, props to the ladies of in people's lives that kind of help keep us balanced and allow us to be ourselves. Thank you so much for doing that. You can follow Shane on Creating Order from Chaos Coaching on Instagram, as well as Shane Thrapp. That's T-H-R-A-P-P. You can also see him on Facebook. Check out his website, Creating Order from Chaos. And he can help you if you have ADHD and live a live a happier life. If you feel like you're, it's unfulfilled, he can help you find that fulfillment. So check him out there. Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Uh, this week, I will be at Plano House of Comedy on Tuesday for the contest semifinals. Thursday, I'll be at the Addison Improv with Derek Jack. And then Friday and Saturday night, I'll be at the uh, Hyenas in Dallas, Texas with Rob Little. Be sure to come to one of those shows. I'd love to see you there. Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Have a great week. And now some thank yous for the folks that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater for my art and graphics. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhiteh2o. Get it? H2O like water. You can also follow him on Facebook. Music. A huge thank you to Gunnar Olson for the wonderful music provided for this podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns. That's G-U-N-B-U-N-S. As well as his website, gunnarolson.net. Check out some of the samples that he has recorded. They're amazing. He's an amazing percussionist. If you want to follow the show, we've got a Facebook group, Some of All Fears. Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at Some Fear Fans. If you have some feedback for the show, email me at SomeFearFans, S-O-M-E-F-E-A-R-F-A-N-S, at gmail.com. I'll be happy to, to take those into consideration. Also, if you'd like to be a guest, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can try to iron out some details and get that settled in. You know, give us some feedback if on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review. It makes the show bigger, and it's not going anywhere. I'm going to record as many shows as I possibly can. If you want to follow me, on social media, I am at Ryan Perio. It's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O on all social media platforms. You can follow me there. And you can check me out at ryanperio.com, my website. I'll try to list upcoming shows there as well. It's been kind of spotty because as soon as I set it up, that's when the pandemic happened. And everything's kind of just in a, in a holding pattern. Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 